Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you are listening to a new episode of The New Unfiltered. So I try and keep this podcast really interesting and unique in comparison to my past Disney show, as well as my other podcast. And through the Be Fearless Summit, I have been able to connect with so many more of you and learn what a lot of you are struggling with. And that is what the theme for today's episode is. If you came to the ECSU talk I think a week and a half ago, two weeks ago in Connecticut, uh, you might have learned a lot, hopefully, from myself as well as the other three panelists, Petrina, Rach, and Gina, who are all super successful founders in the Connecticut area. But one student in particular stood up and had a question about procrastination. And I am quite familiar with procrastination as an entrepreneur, having started this back in 2011. And when I transferred to online school when I was younger, I actually realized in a moment that I never really struggled with procrastination. And so the more that I've embarked on trying to help more young people, I've realized that procrastination is something that so many young adults and adults in general struggle with. And I know many entrepreneurs struggle with procrastination as well. And so though I don't know as much about procrastination as I wish I did, I certainly struggle with many other things, uh, just not this one in particular. I wanted to bring an expert in today who I researched and found his one of his uh, many books that discusses ways to deal with practical solutions and everyday problems. And one of the key points for him is procrastination. So before I get into the episode, make sure that you're following myself on social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis, as well as the Be Fearless Summit, which is at Be Fearless Summit with three S's. And in the bio of the Be Fearless Summit Instagram and my Instagram, you'll see that there is a link for you to join the Be Fearless Summit community. And I'm really excited about the next few talks that are become, going to start happening on the platform. We have Kelly Rutherford from Gossip Girl and Allison Kay from Scooter Braun Projects. And all you have to do is be a part of this community to get access to a super intimate talk with them led by myself. So today's guest is Neil Fiore. He is a PhD and a best-selling author of Awaken Your Strongest Self, The Now Habit, Practical Solutions to Everyday Problems, and Coping with the Emotional Impact of Cancer. He has been published in the New England Journal of Medicine and talked about in the New York Times, the Times of London, and the Washington Post. And his background is quite interesting as an entrepreneur now, and he's worked for many different corporate jobs uh, and also works with a lot of different graduate students, specifically at UC Berkeley, which is where one of the Be Fearless Summits was at. So Neil, thanks for being here. Hi, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be here. You have a a great audience, great following. Yeah. Ah, Thank you so much. Well, same to you. And you're such an accomplished author. And I know that one of your strong points to talk about is procrastination. So we'll get into that shortly. But your story from how you started to where you are now is quite unique. So give us the the rundown of how you became an author. And I know you used to work and you were working at a grocery store when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I came from a working class family in Jersey City, New Jersey. And uh, I always did some kind of work starting at the age of 10 and developed a little group, gathered a bunch of kids together and we would go to the nearby cemetery and help people with watering cans when they wanted to plant flowers in those days people would put flowers on graves at a certain time of the year and we would get tips 
And so we organized and the uh, nursery runner, the guy who ran the nursery, I can almost remember his name. Uh, he asked us to uh, help him collect the flower pots. And so we began to help people take the flowers out of the pot without breaking the pot, because they typically would break the pot. And so we would, we loaded up a couple of hundred pots for this guy. And uh, when we got the money, he gave us like a half a cent for this, a penny for that, two cents for this. And I was, I was embarrassed for my people and I felt bad. And so uh, the next time we hoarded pots. So there I was 11 years old at this time and we had hundreds of pots and he's looking for flower pots. It's time to put plants in. And I said, no, we don't want a half a penny. We want a full penny. We want two pennies. And his men were laughing because he's negotiating with an 11 year old. In any event, we got enough money, about $20 a piece so that we could go to Palisade Park. And I just felt great. I mean, that was, you know, representing my people, doing entrepreneurial work, negotiating. It was terrific. So uh, I was, I was interested. I thought I would get an MBA, but I found a lot of the courses, especially accounting, kind of boring. And I was interested in communication. I was interested in leadership. I had leadership training in the army. I was with the 101st Airborne. I uh, was uh, a leader at Johnson & Johnson, a manager on the floor. Any event, I had a leadership experience and I discovered that I could do uh, psychology courses pretty easily. Came naturally to me. I shifted out of MBA over to psychology and I completed my doctoral dissertation in one year. And when I got to UC Berkeley working with doctoral students, I did not understand why they were procrastinating. A lot of them were waiting to feel motivated. And I would shake my head, you're waiting to feel motivated. You're waiting to feel confident. You're waiting to know everything before you start. No, I don't understand that. You see those people out there doing construction? You think on a Monday morning at five o'clock, they're waiting to feel motivated and confident? I don't think so. They have a job to do. They get started. They get started right away. And that, that program became very successful at UC Berkeley. And uh, I got the book out of it, The Now Habit, based on UC Berkeley students mostly. And I learned that what they were saying to themselves was crucial. They were saying, I have to finish all of this work, do it perfectly, suffer with no fun, and my worth will be judged. Mm. Six statements that I challenged. And I said, it's not have to, it's I choose to start, not finish, on an imperfect draft, plenty of guilt-free play in your schedule, social time, exercise time, and your worth is safe with you. You can be fearless if your worth is safe with you. Your, your book, your product, your paper is not your worth. Yeah. Separate your product your work from your worth, but you maintain your sense of worth. That guarantee from yourself, your worth is safe with me. 
regardless of what anyone else says or thinks, regardless of criticism, regardless of failure. Your worth is safe. I will not make you miserable this evening. But the people who had real problems were people who I would ask them, what's going to happen if, in fact, that doesn't work? And they would say, I would make myself miserable. I didn't quite understand that, but there are people who live with a critic inside their head. It's like being in solitary confinement with a critic. So it's so important to accept yourself, be positive with yourself, and maintain your own sense of worth. I'm choosing to start one small step, maybe 15 minutes, a rough draft, plenty of guilt-free play. Now, those of us like myself who completed the doctoral dissertation in a year or less, as opposed to three to 13 years, were the ones who had a job, had a relationship, had exercise, had other things going on in their life. All the more reason to start early and fast, start now. What can I do now? What can I do as opposed to what's wrong with me? Why am I procrastinating? It's not psychoanalysis. You cannot do psychoanalysis in an exam or an interview. It's what's the question? What's the task? What do I know now? So it's very Zen-like. It's very karate-like. It's <sighs> focus. What do I know now? Focus on starting. Yeah. Anyway, that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. There's so much in there. And, and I'm so fascinated as well by what you said that you were surprised about students needing a way to feel motivated. And I think that that's something that I've realized being around so many young people too, is that they're waiting for their moment. And I live by the theory of you have to make this moment, you have to create this moment and find it. Uh, so I want to talk more about that. But I do want to back up to what you said about switching degrees. Now, when I do and present at a lot of colleges, a question that I'm always quite often asked is, they're studying something and they don't like it. They know that they don't, they don't know what else to do. So I'm curious, what was the period of time for you in between being like, I don't want to keep studying what I'm studying and switching? Uh, and, and how seamless was that decision for you to make? Well, it took, it took a little bit of time, but it was clear that there were certain co courses in the MBA program that I enjoyed, like leadership, like communication, like small groups, and there were those I did not, such as accounting, mm -hmm. uh, the Federal Reserve System. So uh, I, I shifted over and I took some other classes, actually in television production. And I found in, in that school, the new school in New York in Manhattan, uh, there, down the hall was a course on, on lives, interesting the development of different lives and how people make choices and so on. And so from there, I took my first course in psychology and uh, I loved it. And I realized it was me and I've been doing it all my life. And it just, it came very natural to me. Uh, part of that decision was once again on a bus, coming home from night class, writing down all of the things I disliked about my job at Shell Oil, all the things that I loved. And clearly, I loved things like skiing. I loved tennis. And so I loved writing. 
Um, but there were a lot of other things I didn't like. And it was a clear pros and cons of different jobs. And there's an, there's an energy. And when I worked at University of Maryland and, and at UC Berkeley, we have come up with the same questions that you're talking about, that making that decision. And we would open up the catalog to which of these courses has energy for you. You really feel you're interested. You want to know more about it. And you might invest five hours this week exploring that. It could be a dead end, but it's only five hours. And then you start another one. And you might take a class and find that you need to drop out and try something else. But you begin to explore and you respect your own intuition, your own gut reaction about it. What I'm so fascinated by is why people feel so guilty or confused about knowing that they want to do something else, but they're scared of getting to that next step. They're scared of switching degrees, or if they switch to a degree or another job that it's not going to work out. And I think that really what it comes down to is the more that you can try is how you really find your identity. Is that something that you would agree with? I, I would, but I would also say that you need to talk to your worrying mind. If I can get a socks sock puppet in there. It's like, yes, what if this happens? What if that happens? You need to sit down with those sock puppets, those voices, yeah. and say, yes, what would we do if that happened? Your worrying mind wants to know what's your plan for survival. The ultimate plan for survival is, regardless of what happens, I'm on your side. I will not make you miserable tonight. Mm -hmm. This is not a 10.0 earthquake. And is that something that you just say to yourself in your head? Like, how do you learn to believe that? I'm sorry. It's okay. I knew that was going to happen. But <laughs> so that was my phone. Uh, so the, the worrying mind wants to know what's the plan for survival. And the worrying mind has a job to do. And sometimes it'll tap you on the shoulder at three o'clock in the morning and say, what's the plan? You told me you would hate yourself if this happened. So I want to get to a place where you're really shifting to a leadership response from your prefrontal cortex. You're shifting to your human brain, which is in your vertical forehead. The lower brain, the animal brain, has a fear of fire. But the human brain has the ability to face the fear get through it, harness the fire. I believe that's one of the first evolutionary steps in developing a vertical brain. The human brain is prefrontal cortex, executive function. It's in the forehead. So I didn't know this when I first was in the paratroopers and after three weeks of grueling training, we're supposed to jump out and I'm in a plane, 1,500 feet above the ground, going 150 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. They open the door and they expect me to jump out. I couldn't move. I was telling myself, I have to jump. I have to do this. Another part of me was saying, but I don't want to. Forget about it. And I was stuck. One definition of procrastination is being stuck. Your energies are divided. You're saying, 
I have to. Another part says, but I don't want to. And you can't move. I didn't know it at the time, but there's a third place. There's choice. There's a third place that takes these energies and moves them toward your vision, your leadership focus, your mission. So as I was in the plane stuck, I saw that the first man put his hands on the inside of the door. We were trained to put our hands on the outside, bend our knees and jump up so that we could get through a 150 mile an hour propeller blast. He did something else that was counterproductive. He looked down instead of up. And sure enough, as they told us, he jumped out without fully committing. He was picked up by the 150 mile an hour wind tunnel, slammed against the outside of the plane. Could have been knocked unconscious, he was lucky. But your chute can turn, and you can spin and close your chute. So at that moment, I went from you have to, but I don't want to, to I'm not gonna do it that way. Yeah. That was my first choice. The sergeant's not gonna kick me out. I chose to put my hands on the outside of the plane and jumped up, cleared the plane, had a beautiful jump and never had any hesitation or fear after that. And when I landed, I said to myself, there's a third place. It's not just you have to versus I don't want to, there's choice. Choice is incredible. It only exists in the human brain. It's only the human brain that can choose to face fear, choose to face fear of fire, choose to face school, choose to face surgery. You choose it. It's not have to, and you don't have to want to. And by the way, that works with four-year-olds. I am choosing. You don't have to want to. It's okay. In any event, there's choice. So uh, I, I, at the age of 22, had this incredible experience and discovered something that helped me get through graduate school, helped me get through cancer, helped me get through any number of other things. And uh, yeah, I'll be going to the dentist tomorrow and I'll be choosing to be there, letting my mind and body know it's okay to be here. I'm choosing to be here. There's some tactics like meditation or getting more into spirituality that I think also help people lead towards that choice to be present, but in a very small scale, say you're just sitting in front of your homework or you have a list of things. Maybe you're trying to start a company and there's so many elements to start this company. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. And you start procrastinating. So how do you get to where you are, where you're like, I'm making a choice. Do you just look at this homework and say to yourself, I'm making the choice to do it. But I, I would imagine someone might be like, I'm still not going to do it. Even if my mind is like, make the choice, you're still not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, so what, what I definitely recommend is do what I call three-part breathing. Before you face a desk or a tennis match or an exam, take a deep breath and hold it, tighten, exhale, and float down into the chair, into the floor. I am choosing to exhale. It's safe to release my consciously controlled muscles. You're communicating. It's safe to be here. This is not a 10.0 earthquake. It's not even a six. Maybe it's a four. But I am deciding, again, from my human brain, my leadership brain, it is safe to be here in front of this work. Your worth is safe with me. Inhale, hold and tighten, 
release and float down into the chair. That's five seconds. When you do it five or six times, you'll shut off stress hormones. You'll also shut off anxiety because anxiety is your body is trying to get into the future, but it can't get there because the future doesn't exist. You're worrying about finish or done as opposed to starting now. So I want to bring my mind in. I want to feel the chair. I want to hear the breath. It's safe to release muscle tension. I am choosing to be in front of this task for 15 minutes. So there are several choices involved there, but also there is executive brain decision-making. Mm. I like that. I like that exercise. I'm really into just deep breathing anyway. I think when I'm really struggling with anxiety, it's something that really helps. So I can certainly see it as something that would help procrastination. Yes. And being present shuts off anxiety. Mm. Okay. And to so be your present. mind is then with your body in the present and that energy is able to be released. Got it. It can only be released in the present. Not if you're worrying about done or the future. That's why we go from I have to get it done to I am choosing to start. I love that. I am choosing to start. Everyone listening, take if you're taking one thing from today, it is that instead of trying to get it done, you are just choosing to start. So Neil, to look a little bit more into procrastination and the students, especially that you've worked with. So how do you, how do you, how do you analyze procrastination? Like when you look at someone and you're like, okay, this person's procrastinating, what does that mean? Well, it usually means they've created a certain fear about this task. This task will judge me uh, the teacher will judge me. The editor or the publisher will judge me. Um, so it quite often means they do not have a solid sense of worth, that my worth is safe with me. Um, if I give you my book and say, here, judge me, you know, this, this is an imperfect book. Tell me if I should feel good or bad about myself. I really can't finish it. I have to hold on to it and delay until I make it perfect. So perfectionism comes in and they get perfectionistic. So uh, the people who get things done are the ones who hand things in early, get feedback and are able to turn it around because you are not judging me or my work. You're judging, I'm sorry, you're, you're editing my work. And I have had editors who I've had to say to them, you and I are both interested in making a better book. So let's get on with it. Tell me about the book. Don't criticize me as a person. We both want to make this book better. That's not my worth. They're separate. I want to break that equation that my worth as an individual equals my work. They're separate. I listen to what they say, and typically people who are procrastinating feel a sense of obligation and burden. And they're saying, I have to, I should, I have to. And I said, who are you talking to? You're talking to a part of you that feels overwhelmed and therefore resistant. Have to means you don't want to. Mm -hmm. I have to, but I don't want to. You've split your energies. It's like a multiple personality in one statement. So I'm listening to what people are saying and saying, well, how do you start the task? 
Well, I look for a full day or 12 hours. That's the other thing. They're looking for too much time when they only need five to 15 minutes to get started. What can you do now? And people with ADD say, I don't know. Yes, but what do you know? And I keep pushing them until they say something. I go, write that down. Respect it. What comes to you? Well, something comes to me when I look at it and I do a little bit of thinking and I move from fear, which is down here at the base of the skull, to problem solving. And by the way, when you stay in front of a task for 10 seconds without running away mentally or physically, the mind shifts from fight, flight, reptilian brain to problem solving. So you want to solve. And it does that in less than 10 seconds when you stay in front of the task. Now, I learned this in graduate school because I worked with phobias. So I treat procrastination like a phobia. You define something as dangerous. It could be a spider, a dog, a snake, and you run away from it. But if you approach it slowly from a distance, you begin to break down that fear. It's the same with procrastination. You've defined something as dangerous. If you stay with it for two breaths, the brain understands you don't want your default escape mechanism. You actually want to problem solve. And you begin to problem solve within two breaths or 10 seconds. And this has worked over and over again with people defined as ADD. To be a procrastinator, do you have to have ADD? No. Okay. No, but in working with people defined as ADD, I have found that if they learn to overcome procrastination, uh, the ADD diagnosis is minimal in most people. Some people it's real serious. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on Adderall? Uh, well, I, I'd rather not address that. I mean, it seems to work in some people and in some children. Uh, I'm not in favor of drugging children generally, mm -hmm. uh, but we know that a certain amount of caffeine uh, works to calm down an ADD brain, seemingly, yeah. I was certainly curious because it just made me think of that when you, when you mentioned ADD is that that is, is I, I think a lot of people go right to Adderall and, and I don't have ADD, but I've taken Adderall throughout my life at times. And I've seen people abuse Adderall. I've seen people use it to go out and to party and not to focus. Uh, and then I have, you know, friends who take 25, 30 milligrams a day, and they say it's the only way that they can focus. Uh, so I am just curious if there is any research behind how that does affect the brain. And obviously if people think, excuse me, that it does help them focus. So there has to be something there. I think, I think for some people, yes. Yeah, very interesting. So, so to talk more about procrastination, and I know you said that was a tip right there. 
What about someone who is really struggling to choose the path that they want to go down? Now, I don't know if that has to do with procrastination per se, but when I did present at this college a few weeks ago, this there were many questions of young people and they're studying something, but they have a hobby, something that they wanted to pursue outside of what they're studying. And the minute they sit down, they've got this long list of things and they don't know where to start. And that's when it kind of is like, okay, I'm walking away from this. There's too many things. Now I would make a list and sit down and I usually do make those lists and I know where to start, even if it maybe takes me a few days. Uh, But when it comes to analyzing how and where to start, how do you decide to do that when you have a list and they all seem of equal importance to start on? Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you start on. What matters is that you start on it and you start on anything for 15 minutes and you'll be smarter in 15 minutes than you are now. Your future self will know more and you'll make a decision from there about what to do next, to put it aside or try something else. But it involves, as I said earlier, maybe five hours in a week of research, of exploring, experimenting. You know, not a full year, not a week even, but maybe five hours of exploring. And then if it, if it's, if you were climbing a mountain, you know that in a thousand feet, you'll have a better view and can make a better decision. You may also find that that trail is blank, is blocked, and you need to go back and go the other way. Well, you haven't lost an awful lot, maybe five hours, but you've learned something about that. So you begin to explore. You begin to do a patrol. You go out and your future self will have a better view and will be smarter. And maybe you will have adapted to the altitude. But you, you have so many things in front of you, you're overwhelming yourself. You want to start on one thing for 15 minutes or an hour and understand that your future self will be smarter. You don't need to know everything at the bottom of the mountain. Yeah, I like that. And it's so refreshing to also have someone say that a lot of these young people are just so overwhelmed with so many elements and things that they have to do. Uh, And then I think there's this expectation at this point that you become successful so fast. I don't know. Then you're a bit older than me. So obviously the times have changed with social media and whatnot. But what I really realize is now there is such an obsession with becoming successful so fast. And a lot of people are not learning the tips and tricks to really build themselves as a person and also then ultimately land their dream job or start a company because they're getting so stuck in the frustration of this isn't happening fast enough. And there's this element of a hustle culture. I don't know if you're kind of familiar with that, but it's just that go, go, go mentality when a lot of people are racing towards something and it's like, what are they even racing towards? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is, there's a lot of pressure these days because you know, you're a perfect example of someone who started very young and was able to move forward very quickly. And uh, it seems like, you know, you can put yourself up on social media and you can get a million hits and you're, you're off and, and going. So there is that expectation these days. But everybody has their own path. You choose, you can choose a path only after it has a heart for you. Mm-hmm. Trying to make yourself, I have to, I have to do it creates a sense of obligation and burden. 
which means you're not going to want to. Have to do it means I don't want to. Are you choosing to do this for five hours to explore, to do a little bit of research, and to trust your feelings, your gut reaction? Yeah, and trust that anything like along the way, I think that you you were thinking about is to trust. And maybe, maybe I don't know, is there an element of procrastination that when you're you so deeply don't want to do something, but you know that you have to, is how do you decipher like I should walk away from this and not do it at all versus this is a task that I need to complete, even though I don't want to do it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm curious, like if there is a different way of tackling that, uh, because so many times we're doing things that we don't necessarily always want to do, but at what point do you realize that maybe that means that you really should be doing something else and not the kind of task that's like, I need to do the laundry, something that might be school related or personal related or business related. Yeah. Well, and in graduate school, my last year, my fourth year, all the courses that I had procrastinated on or avoided and all of the boring teachers caught up with me. Mm-hmm. So I had five classes, all of which I didn't, I didn't like. And that's when I started the now habit, really, because I gave myself the right to leave. I can quit. I can go get a job. I'll probably be a millionaire in five years. But I said, I'm going to give this a week. I chose to stay with it for a week. I'm choosing to stay with this course and this assignment for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's a choice. I don't have to. For 30 minutes, I I was amazed at how much I could do in 30 minutes in something that my ego was bored with, but my mind wasn't bored. Yeah. My mind accepted the challenge of what can we do in 30 minutes? And then I would go and jog with friends or play tennis, you know, and I, I found that when I had a reward, I was able to get even more done in 30 minutes. So I was choosing for one week to do these boring classes. And then week by week, I was learning that I could do a lot in 30 minutes. I'm choosing to sit in front of this task like a meditation, going from not knowing to knowing. And the work itself became a meditation. Hmm. Wow. So it's it's really quite easy then in a way to switch your brain to enjoy something that you're not currently enjoying. The brain is a curiosity machine. I mean, it. You, you watch a toddler. I mean, they're into everything. You know, she's sweeping. She wants to wash the dishes. She wants to use the vacuum cleaner. I'm sure that was you. And, you know, they're just little engines of energy. They want to participate. They don't need to be motivated. They're self-motivated. The brain is a learning machine. Yeah. It wants to learn. And it wants to get involved. So even though what I would call my ego is bored. My mind isn't. And it's interested in that challenge of what can we do in 30 minutes? Mm -hmm. Where will we be in 30 minutes? So your relationship with your future self is important. So I'm doing something now to help my future self. I'm getting it started. Hopefully your future self, when it shows up 30 minutes or a week from now, is able to say thank you. That's good leadership. That was good work. 
you got started, Alexa. Yeah. That helped me. That made it easier. You broke through the inertia. You moved on to momentum. I'm just breaking through the inertia. I'm just getting it started. I'm breathing and getting through the first 10 seconds of resistance. I'm choosing to be in front of this task. The brain says, you don't want to run away then. You want to problem solve. You don't want to have a phobic avoidant response. You're choosing to face it. All right, we'll do some problem solve. Yeah. What about this, this, and this? So what do you know now? Well, not an awful lot. Maybe this, maybe that. So I, you know, I do Sudoku. I do that because when I open it up on the first day, it's impossible. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. And I just have this little piece here. I put it away, pick it up the next day, next day. In two days, what was impossible on day one is now complete. And in a sense, I don't know how I did it, right? And I've done that with skiing, I've done that with tennis, any number of things, you can use any number of metaphors, but there are areas where you go from not knowing to knowing, and that's exciting. Yeah. <clears throat> what about breaks? That's just my last question before we wrap up is how important are breaks when you're a procrastinator? If you're doing something and you do that 30 minutes, should you then take a break? Should you then go and have lunch? Is, is that, is it better to try and get two hours in and then stop for the rest of the day? So we know that some of the most creative people put their, they start in the morning, right? And I, I'd say there's a time before breakfast, before lunch, before dinner, before sleep, yeah. you get a half an hour in, in each of those time slots, you'll have two hours a day, two times seven is 14, 14 or 15 hours a week is enough to write a book in a year. It's not 40 hours a week, it's not 100 hours a week, it's focused, choosing to be there. And yes, when you get stuck, I like to take three breaths again, three part breathing and release, and I want to go on for another five minutes to get through that. So that it's like riding a bike down a hill. You don't stop at the bottom. You keep pedaling to get a third of the way up the next hill. So I want to put in a little more time and I want the break, that breakthrough of insight that comes. So uh, a break is, is useful and is important, but I wouldn't necessarily give up right away. I want to stay with it for another five minutes to get through the hard part so that it's easier for my future self to keep writing on that chapter, right? But uh, there are methods, uh, you know, work for 45 minutes, take a 15 minute break mm -hmm. and, and do lower priority tasks, you know, do the laundry or wash the dishes or do email. But uh, uh, yeah, you can go for 30 minutes, you can take a break for five minutes, but, uh, I wouldn't recommend trying to go four hours straight. Yeah. No, no. That's a long time. Yeah. And that can also create more frustration, right? So maybe if the results after your four hours aren't good or you're frustrated or you're not hearing back, like I think that could almost maybe counteract with the progress that you could have made if you did it in a smaller amount of time. Uh, yeah. And seldom do we have four hours that are uninterrupted. Yeah. So uh, it's more doable 
if you have, if you're fighting to get, as I did, fighting to find another half hour. Yeah. When can I start? When can I start again? Mm -hmm. And by the way, when can I start? Is the important question. You want to ask yourself, when can I start? This is what I ask my clients, my coaching clients and my, uh, my therapy clients. Um, when will you start? And some people say, well, next week. I go, when next week? Well, maybe Monday. Well, when on Monday? You still haven't given your brain a clear message about when to show up. You're, you're talking to your brain and body. Be an effective leader. I am choosing to show up at this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love it. Neil, where can everyone find out more about you and get the book? And this was such a productive episode. So thank you okay. for being here. Yeah, well, my my website is my name, neilfiore.com. And uh, yes, neilfiore.com has a lot of the a lot of the information. You can also go on to Amazon, of course, and look up one of my seven books uh, and audio tapes. All right. So uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's been fun. I'm I'm moving on to doing a lot of coaching these days. So I work with people from around the world. Yeah. I bet you'd be such a phenomenal mentor. And I would love to chat with you aside from the podcast about this mentorship platform that I have. Uh, so certainly we can talk about that after, but Neil, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. I really am grateful that that young woman asked at the ECSU talk about procrastination. Cause I certainly wish that there was more education around there. Uh, about this subject because it's something yeah. that not even just students deal with. So thank you uh, to that girl. I don't remember her name for addressing it. And as I said yeah. at the beginning of the episode, if you aren't following on social media, make sure you do at at Be Fearless Summit and at Alexa underscore Curtis. And there are new blog posts up every single week on Life Unfiltered with Alexa. So for any updates and new news, you can go there as well. And I will see you guys next week for a new episode of the show. 